you're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hello, I am Aurelien Mottier, and you are listening to the B2B Revenue Acceleration podcast. Sally Dobby from The Bridge Group is my guest on the show today. How are you doing, Sally? I'm terrific, Ray. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, pleasure. So, Sally, today we want to have a conversation with you around a topic that is really important for us. That topic is around building a quality pipeline. But before we get started, can you please tell us a little bit more about yourself as well as the organization that you represent, i.e. The Bridge Group? Sure. So I've been in and around sales for pretty much my entire career. Mm-hmm. I started in field sales. And then I actually, I got a job at Oracle way, way back in the beginning years of Oracle. I was very young back then. And I was in the inside sales group there. And I just really loved the, the power and what you could do with inside sales. Um, and then I was able to have a normal life as well. So I decided, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you didn't have to do all the traveling, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So it fit into my lifestyle at the time, raising a child and everything. So I really enjoyed it. And that's where I've kept my career is both in inside sales and sales development. And have built many different, you know, inside sales, sales development, support renewal teams, help optimize teams and got into consulting probably, you know, now for over about 20 years with a little stint at Skype in between where I built a sales team at Skype most recently. And today I am chief sales officer at the Bridge Group. And at the Bridge Group, we are a consulting agency focused all around inside sales and sales development, all my passion. So we're, we're putting to use everything that I've learned over the years and helping many other of our clients. That's wonderful. Well, thank you very much for us. It's a very interesting background and definitely a lot of experience that you, you've got to offer. So that, that's wonderful. You have co-founded the VP of Sales Forum. This is a platform, from my understanding, that provides VPs of sales and chief revenue officer, basically anyone who is responsible or who's got responsibility for the top line in any company to interact or have a peer-to-peer environment in order to network, keep themselves on top of the new trends, discuss best practices and all that. From your experience of running these events and your engagement, and I would believe your engagement is constant with VP sales, chief revenue officer, and all those people managing the top line. What do you see as the main challenges that the, the sales leaders are facing? Yeah. So, you know, Ray, I've been doing the VP of Sales Forum for 10 years. We just celebrated our 10-year anniversary this year. And anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it's it's been pretty amazing. But at almost every single meeting we've had over the 10 years, we by far get the most questions around the whole sales development space, marketing alignment, all around the pipeline building issue. Even today, here we are, and I don't know how many years, but I think it's probably been at least 20 some years that everybody's been preaching about marketing and sales alignment. And we still seem to have a bunch of silos. 
and different agendas <laughs> happening between sales and marketing. <laughs> Have you noticed that too? <laughs> uh, do you know what? This is, we, we, we've had probably two or three podcasts just on the topic. So we've done some mainly with CMOs who are preaching the, the alignment with sales, which is great. We are yet to get CROs to get involved. So uh, I'm not pointing the finger here, but <laughs> it's definitely a topic that, that, that is in the, in the center of the conversation and passionate a few people we've been speaking to on that podcast. Right, right. You know, we still get questions about what's a qualified lead. You know, it's like, wow, <laughs> it's 2018 and we're still talking about that. You know, so there, there's a, a lot of confusion. We're obviously still kind of missing the boat and need a lot of work in that. So we spend, you know, again, a tremendous amount of time talking about that. And then I, I guess I'd have to say, while account-based has all been great, it's also really confused the issue. And everybody wants to say they're doing account-based because it's the cool, latest, greatest thing in yep pipeline development, but yet they really don't get it and they don't know what they're doing with it. <laughs> so so that's one area. I would say there's really a couple other areas that are emerging. One is definitely around customer success. That's another one of these areas that customer success means something different to every single company when you ask them, you know, what their customer success team is responsible for. It's you get a bunch of different answers. And then the other one is enabling frontline sales managers so that they really know and understand what their role is, what they should be doing and how to be doing the job. You know, we seem to have, we always promote sales reps and a lot of times it's our best sales reps, which in many cases means they're probably not going to be the best manager, <laughs> different skill sets that you need to be a sales manager versus a lot of times being the best sales rep. Oh, yes. um, but yeah, you know, but then we don't give them any coaching or mentoring or training. And we just say, okay, you know, yesterday you were a sales rep and today you're a sales manager. Go to it. Here's your team. And we, you know, we don't even train them on, you know, any guidance around human resources issues, you know. How do you interview properly? What can you can't? What can you say and what can't you say in an interview? You know, let alone everything else about how do you coach a salesperson properly? How do you make that transition from being one of them <laughs> to now being their boss? So, so that, those three areas are really a lot of our key discussions that we've had in particular over the last year or so. That's wonderful. I mean, one question that I will have for you, it's, it's a bit of a leading question from my own experience, but do you believe based on what you just said, not on what you just said, but on your experience, do you believe that the top sales people or the top sales guys make the best manager? Or do you believe that it's more the average but good sales guy that makes the best manager? Yeah, you know, I think that it, from what I have seen <laughs> and what I've seen everybody else talk about is that, <laughs> it, you know, it's not the salesperson that is always making 150, 200% of quota. It's the ones that, you know, pretty consistently achieve 100% of quota and maybe yeah. a little bit above, right? But it's really all about, too, the, the skills that they show. Are they willing to help out other members of their team, right? right? Typically, that sales rep that's your best sales reps that is 150 to 200 percent of quota is more often what we call the the lone wolf right oh um, you've have been you heard that term <laughs> you've been reading the challenger sales 
Yes. <laughs> uh, we, we've, we've, we've all went straight. It's a fantastic book. It is. And so, you know, they, they tend to have those capabilities where they just want to go out and be on their own and do their own thing. And they don't want interference and they don't really want to get involved in the whole team oh. thing either. And yeah. so that is something that, you know, you have to take into account. How, are, how good are they going to be at coaching somebody if that's their... Well, absolutely. You know, and well, the great. risk as well. I think you've got, uh, when you've got someone who achieves 150, 200% of quota, as a general manager, it's quite risky to remove that sort of person from actually delivering so well to put them in a management position that may affect their performance. So right. it, that's the reason why I was, I was kind of introducing the question as a leading question. But yeah, it's, I, I do share exactly the same, the same opinion. And I believe it's, it's really about the person. But often what I've seen is that the people who are really good at selling, the people who are really consistently over-delivering, making a lots of money in sales, tend to struggle when they get into a management role because, yeah, managing other people is it's a, it's a different bunch of skills. It's probably more difficult. You need to influence. And let's not forget that you need to work down with your team, but you also need to work up with your management. Ability to forecast, ability to forecast for others. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a challenge altogether. But well, thank you very much for that, Sally. That that yeah. has been useful. So we had a conversation in the past. We met a, a few years back, and you stated or you mentioned something that made me smile. It's a pipeline cures all problems. That's so <laughs> true, right? So yeah. I'm sure that any salesperson can relate to that. But we all know that it takes a lot of work to build up that quality pipeline. What would be, if you were to share a few of a few tips with us today, what would be the top tips that you can share with our listeners or professional salespeople listening to that podcast today around building a strong pipeline? Yeah. So, you know, there's a couple of things, but I, that is a, totally one of our sayings here at the Bridge Group, Ray, is that pipeline cures all sales problems, right? And I think in all the years that I've been in sales and have been doing consulting and have talked to hundreds and hundreds, you know, probably even thousands of sales leaders, I only recall three that have told me that they had enough pipeline. So, you know, it's something that we're always struggling with because unfortunately, you know, we don't close 100% of our pipeline, right? That's <laughs> so, unfortunate. Yeah, it is unfortunate. I don't <laughs> think we'll ever get to that. Yeah. So, you know, we, we need to have a lot more in there to, to be able to make our numbers, obviously. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think, first of all, pipeline building should be a multifaceted approach in the company. And by that, I mean, it just shouldn't be the sales reps responsibility to build their pipeline. Here we go again with marketing alignment. It's marketing's responsibility. It's the sales development rep's responsibility. It's the executive team, channel partners, and actually, you know, everyone in the company. And when I say everyone in the company, I think, you know, over the last years, that has really become an important piece mm -hmm. because everyone in the company can keep their network and LinkedIn up to date. They can be posting educational and thought leadership content to help draw in their network. And they can also post about, you know, specific company milestone or successes and really help the sales team with introductions. So if you've got somebody in operations or, you know, in human resources that is actively, 
you know, on LinkedIn, keeping their networks up to date and helping everybody's out there promoting the company. And then if I'm your sales rep and I go in and see you have a connection at this company at a high level, you can help me get into the person that I need to. And so Mm -hmm. we have the capability now, you know, because of great tools like LinkedIn to be able to do that company wide. 20 years ago, we couldn't do that, right? But we can now. So So I really think that, again, it shouldn't just be the sales rep's responsibility. And I think that's one of the things that we work with a lot of our clients on is understanding where can you get your pipeline from, that it's not just all coming from one source. So where where are all the contributions coming from? So we all know, like, what is marketing responsible for? What are the sales development team responsible for? What's the sales rep responsible for? What are your channel partners responsible for in building pipeline? So you can measure and track against that. So that's one thing. But, you know, there, I think the other thing that we're getting very complex now with our pipeline building, and I see many companies trying, they're struggling with building pipeline because they're trying a one size fits all model. And especially for those companies that have been in business probably more than five years, they're, they're probably going after multiple segments, right? So it's not just we're selling to the enterprise or we're just selling to mid-market. It's you may be selling to SMB, to mid-market, to the enterprise. And oh, by the way, we have some really strategic accounts that we're focused on. So you have multiple markets that you're going after. You have multiple buyers that you, you know, that want to buy your product and the complexity of your products and the average deal size all play into, you know, what different kind of pipeline building models should you have? So you know, to give an extreme example, let's say you're targeting a C-level executive and the average deal size is a million dollars. Your approach to building pipeline there and to getting those million dollar deals is very different from someone who's selling to the SMB market, you know, or even let's say the mid market. And there's thousands of accounts there and your deal size is $50,000, right? You have different approaches, way different approaches. You know, and because you can get a million dollars versus $50,000, you can afford to expand different resources and money to getting that million dollar account than you can getting a $50,000 account. You know, we used to be, I shouldn't say used to be because there's still a lot of it today, which is fine, but it was, everybody thought, you know, you needed to specialize in inbound and outbound which you do, but today it really needs to go so much further than just inbound and outbound. And, you know, so this is where I think really the account-based marketing approach has really come in. We all got enamored with Marketo, did a great job of convincing us that we needed to go into, you know, at mid-market SMB and, you know, email spam our way in. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, clearly now companies, I, I think it's been a really interesting change, Ray, and I'm sure you guys have seen this too, is that all of a sudden all these companies and the investors and boards of companies are like, well, you know, we need to get a lot larger average deal sizes. So we need to move up market. Well, how do you move up market into the enterprise is, you know, again, different 
ways that you do that. And so this is where I think account-based has really come into play. And oh, by the way, we at the Bridge Group like to call it account-based revenue, not marketing. Oh, I like it. Yeah. We call it, we call it account-based everything. There you so go. We want to yeah. have a little touch on it. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're getting much more sophisticated and complex in our models, but, you know, it does really go back to looking at who are your target accounts? Who are your buyers? How do those buyers want to buy and be engaged with? What's the complexity of your product and your average deal size? And then you can figure out if it's inbound, outbound, account-based, account-centric, right? And and mm-hmm. apply the right methodology to that. Yeah, that's that's the day-to-day really here. I mean, we can relate so much with, with what you went through. What, one of the other type of scenario that we, we, we tend to see quite a lot at the moment would be around mature technology vendors. So a B2B software company has been going for maybe 10 years or even more than that. There is some very large one that I will not mention, but we, we, are, we are discussing with them at the moment. And they are in a situation where their core business, what they are known for, what you would associate their brand with, the revenue of that core business kind of dropping a little bit. Okay. So it's kind of, mm-hmm. yes, to this type of solution. And, you know, so what they've done as a very smart management team board, et cetera, et cetera, is acquire some companies to make their portfolio more exciting, to make their portfolio more future-proof, if you will. Yep. And 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 I, I think what they are going through, I, w- I would almost qualify it as a sales transformation, but God, it's like moving mountains, trying to get the sales team, the, in, the, the internal salespeople, so um, it could be even an inside sales team up to the field sales guy, and then you've got the channel on top of that. And the transformation that you need to go through, and we've seen it all, you know, like um, a company that was uh, on-premises that wants to go cloud. Well, once you want to go cloud, you, you're going to upset your partners because your yeah. partner used to deliver services and make money out of it. So it's a channel, it's a, it's a, it's a humongous shift. And I think those shifts are happening more and more at the moment. And they are interesting because you've got multi-buying personas and and different type of average deal value, different type of solution. And I really like the way you approach it. And to be fair, I mean, this is the way we, we present our services. So, I'm, you know, we, we've got the same sort of basis. But the way everybody should look at it is who is the person I'm selling to and how much they're spending. Based on mm-hmm. that, you will know the complexity of the sales cycles, potentially the number of personnel that will need to be involved in the sales cycles as well as the length of the sales cycle and what's in, what's in it for you at the end of it. Going and creating the demands, pushing, being disruptive, being a challenger sell, when you've got uh, 150, 250K deals at the end of it, it's worth the battle. But you're completely right. If you drop to 30, 50K, we will be dealing with inside salespeople, we'll be dealing with channel partners who ultimately, and you can't blame them for that, but they want tactical stuff. They don't want to go and create the demand. They want to collect a PO in the next six months. <laughs> and, yes. and, and that's the reason why one of the first questions we ask when we get into a sales cycle is to, to kind of uh, draw some demographic and get our head around the type of customer we are speaking to is what's your average deal value? And, and you can tell a lot from the average deal value in terms of 
what they need to do or how long they should expect to close their deals, et cetera, et cetera. So now I appreciate what you are saying. And I think it's it's extremely relevant to today's market um, and, and a, a great way to kind of dissociate the different type of sales tactics and sales strategy that you need to put in place. Yeah. You know, the other thing, Ray, that, that we've seen a lot of is these smaller startup companies and they get executives in from, you know, the Oracles, the Salesforces, the SAPs of the world, and they come into these small startups and they they just don't understand how different it has to be in building pipeline and messaging because they're used to that brand name recognition where everybody knows them and everybody knows what they do. And you go into these small startups where nobody knows you, nobody knows what you do, and you can't use the same tactics. And so we see that happen a lot. And it's a, you know, it, it, it's a big mistake that a lot of them make and they don't get traction because they don't understand, again, that you've got to do so much more heavy lifting and educating in your pipeline building, which is, again, really different than if I'm a branded Salesforce calling up to try to sell you a CRM. Absolutely. And this is the level of maturity as well of a solution. You've got very yeah. disruptive vendors. Well, you know, we've got clients coming to us and say, so we want to find people who have a project. So, okay, but what you are selling <laughs> is the equivalent of a flying car, which technically could be a plane, but let's talk about something that can be on the road and also fly. So people will have a car, so they don't need another car. So you may speak to someone that doesn't have a need, but what you need, what, what you sell is a very specific alteration of something that they may have. So it's very disruptive and you can't expect people to have a budget for it. You can't expect people to have a project around it. Exactly. But you, can, you can expect people to be interested by it. And you can expect people to potentially change what they are doing or prioritize their budget or their financing in a certain way to buy what you need. But it's also setting the right expectations. But yeah, again, startups getting into big company or the, opposite, the other way around. A large organization buying a company that is may not be in their, in their core business. So when IBM started to buy lots of security companies, Curada and all that lot, mm -hmm. I mean, the market did not know that IBM was doing security. Right. So you have to go there and just educate the market and explain them the roadmap. But yeah, it's, that's what makes, I guess, both your life and our life very exciting. Yes. Uh, but that's also kind of leading me to, to my next question to you. So from your introduction, you, you clearly have a, a, a great level of experience and a great amount of respect for that inside sales function, that, that SDR, BDR function, the people who are at the beginning of the funnel, the people who are prospecting, getting opportunities and, you know, almost like the, the, the guy that you would see in the jungle going around with their machete, <laughs> getting the path ready. We know that they, they play an important role. I mean, we, we've got our opinion because this is what we do. But from your perspective and from our listener here today, can you tell us from your, 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 your point of view, why? Do those teams, those SDR, BDR, those pipeline generation team, those in-house team or external team are playing such an important role? Yeah. You know, this has been one of the things that I think has been so exciting for me to see over the years is that 15, 20 years ago, we were really having to sell companies on why they really needed an SDR. And they're like, well, maybe, you know, maybe after six months you get them, uh, you know, agreed to try one SDR, right? 
but now it's like common knowledge that every tech company in B2B needs an SDR. And many of the startups out here, you know, are hiring their SDRs along with hiring their first salespeople. So it's really awesome to see that we finally understand that. But, you know, why, why is that happening? Um, so you, your salespeople are your really expensive resources. And you really don't want them to do all the follow-up work that's needed to try to reach people. So building pipeline requires persistence and a lot of multiple attempts to reach prospects. You know, even if they filled out a contact form on your website or something saying they wanted to call, when you call them back that first time, they don't answer the phone. They don't answer your email. So if you're doing outbound prospecting, it's even tougher. And, you know, I'm sure you guys are doing the same processes, but we really are finding that it takes typically between eight to 14 times, maybe even 16, 18 times to reach most of your prospects. We know salespeople, they give up after the first, maybe the second attempt. And they just, and it, you know, I, I know many sales leaders have heard their sales reps tell them, oh, they're not interested. They didn't return my phone call. Well, you know, how many times did you actually try to call them or email them? And it was like, well, once, right? So that's not enough. We know that. And, you know, we know that also a sales rep are, I would say, sort of the worst at prospecting because of that. But one of the things we're paying salespeople so much money for is because they're really good at moving you know, opportunities through the sales cycle and mm -hmm. getting them to closed. And so when you've got, that's a really different skill set. It's a tough skill set. Not everybody can do that. So you really don't want your sales reps spending their valuable time doing this process that it's really, it's a process. It's very methodical. It's very much the science part of it. You know, when you get somebody in the phone, there's the art part. And developing your messaging is the art part. But a lot of it is the science, the process that you can get, you know, less experienced, less costly people to do. And so that's where it really makes sense. Get your sales team focused on what they do best, which is mm -hmm. moving the deals through the pipeline and offload more of that repetitive process piece. You know, the other thing that we've really seen happen is when you've got too much of your sales team developing their own pipeline is that you really see the hockey stick effect. You're familiar with that, right, Ray? Oh yeah. 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 You know, it's so hockey it's, stick. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't do, we don't, we don't do a, a lot of hockey where I'm from probably a terrible <laughs> national team or whatever, but now definitely, definitely understand what you, what you are just about to say, I think. Yeah. So, you know, so if you look at a quarter, right. In closing business, The first month of the quarter, you're closing not a whole lot, maybe 10 to 15%, 20%, right? Then the second quarter or the second month of the quarter, you are closing, you know, maybe 30%. But the big bulk of your business, like 60, 70, sometimes even 80% of your business is coming That's in the last month of the quarter. And sometimes it's even the last day of the quarter, right? Absolutely. Where you're getting that. And a lot of that is because you don't have enough in the pipeline at the beginning of the quarter and you don't have a consistent pipeline throughout the quarter so that deals are falling when they naturally will close. 
not mm-hmm. when we're trying to force them to close by specials, price incentives or whatever. And so if you have a separate team that's responsible for developing a key percentage of the pipeline, you're going to have that consistent, constant flow and you can really reduce the hockey stick effect. It's also the, the and sorry to interrupt very quickly, we, we've got, we've been in the situation so many times in conversation with, with CEOs telling us, well, I've got a good quarter, then a bad quarter, then a good quarter, then a yes. bad quarter. I say, okay, well, I speak to yourself, Sim. And then you, you ask some leading question. What you realize, you realize that they spend one quarter prospecting, one quarter closing. Yes. And then because they are closing, they are too busy closing, so they can't prospect. So they've exactly. got no opportunity for next quarter. So it's, the, it's, it's more like a mountain peak or something like that, right. if you will. Yes. It's one up, one down. But yeah, no, absolutely. That, that function does break consistency. Absolutely. Sorry, I, I didn't interrupt you. No, 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 it's no problem. That was a great comment. You know, I think the other thing, and this is where, again, we get into the the marketing and sales alignment issue is that, you know, your marketing team is out there spending a lot of money and doing a lot of things to bring in leads. And, you know, another typical scenario we run into when there isn't a sales development team in place or the sales development team is focused on outbound and all the inbound leads go to directly to the sales team is that the marketing team you know, never knows what works and what the results of the campaigns are because the sales team is not following up on every inbound lead that they're getting. They're cherry picking as to what they think or assume are the best leads. And that's the only ones that they follow up on. And, you know, a lot of times you're just getting maybe a name and a company name. And so they're assuming that they may be the right company and the right target profile. But how do you know which ones of those really have a need unless you actually follow up with them and have a conversation with them and talk to them? So this cherry picking effect, while the sales team loves it, (laughs) is not the most efficient or effective way. And again, marketing gets no insights into what's working because the sales team isn't going to convert the lead properly either in the CRM to show and attribute that lead back to the marketing team. Mm -hmm. They're going to take credit for it. So you never get a closed loop marketing cycle and marketing again, never knows if a campaign was successful or not. So they keep repeating campaigns that probably weren't successful, but they have no data and no insights. Absolutely. To guide them in the right direction. I asked you a question uh, earlier on about a good salesperson becoming a sales manager or a salesperson in general becoming a a sales manager. What would be your take on uh, SDR people or inside salespeople or BDR people progressing to a field sales role? That's a great question, Ray. And, you know, I think, I mean, I've got conflicted views internally on this. I mean, it's a great career path, right? I have seen many, many successful people. I mean, I had a guy who actually several of them who worked for me, got their start as inside sales reps, and now are, you know, CROs, right, of large companies and, you know, making half a million dollars a year and, and being extremely successful. So I know it can be done. I think that we did a research on this last year actually at the bridge group, 
where we show though, you know, if you promote SDRs too early, where they haven't even learned the SDR role and you promote them into an AE role, that there was like something like a 65% failure rate. So it's counterintuitive to a lot of companies today that want to promote their SDRs in a year or less. And that's where the problem becomes. If you promote them in a year or less, you have the huge failure rate. If they get promoted after, I think it was like 16 months, 17 months was the key thing, that failure rate drops to like 25%. Hmm. So huge improvement because now they're learning. Also, you know, I think it depends on what kind of AE role you promote them into. You know, if you promote them straight from an SDR into an AE role that's going after one of these really large enterprise, long sales cycle accounts where it's a, you know, $250,000 sale or above, that's a really tough move to make. That's such different skills that you need to know about to work those kinds of deals than what an SDR ever, you know, has. So we are working really hard with our clients to create career paths based on the roles that make sense within the company, based on their selling motions and what Mm -hmm. makes sense. And maybe it's not, you know, an AE role doing net new business. Maybe it's an account management role, right? Where they're working with existing customers. You know, and I think being able to put together a career progression role that says, you know, if your path and what you really want to do is move into sales, then, you know, starting, you know, let's say in your fourth quarter of being an SDR, we're going to start, you know, providing you some kind of different training on skills. You may have to take and pass a negotiation class. You may have to, you know, do some ride-alongs with a sales rep. You may have to help them prepare a presentation, right? And watch them give a presentation and then you do it. So being really actually able to give them, you know, access to and see what really goes on a sales role. Because what we're also finding is that a lot of these people, once they get into a sales role, it's like, ah, this isn't really what I want to do. (laughs) Um, but yet you know yeah you know been there yes exactly and you know I think we've all been there and so a lot of it is because you know they really don't know what the sales rep job is day in and day out and unless they get that exposure and they really understand what it means to have to meet quota on a regular basis and be judged on meeting that quota you know is different than meeting quota as an SDR there's some similarities, absolutely, but it's way different in the sales. The pressure is way different. And so there's just a lot of people that that's not what they want and they don't want the travel if it's a field sales AE role, right? So, you know, I think those are all things that we need to, as management, exactly. before rushing and promoting. Yeah, you know, I think I think people have a hard time to add conversation with uh, individual telling me that they've got a, a, people who are really good in their BDI, SDR team, often millennials. They want to progress very quickly. If not, they will have another opportunity somewhere else. You've got the recruiter playing a role as well, you know, always trying to push people and telling them that the, the grass is greener somewhere else. But yeah. look, it was very, very good to have you, Sally, today on the podcast. I really 
loved our conversation. I could, I could go on for another couple of hours. I need to let you go, unfortunately. Now, if anyone wants to, any one of our listeners wants to get in touch with you, wants to engage with the Bridge Group, wants to consult with you guys and use your services, what is the best way to get hold of you guys? Oh, thanks, Ray. Yeah, you know, definitely check out our Bridge Group website. There is a ton of research and ebooks all around sales development, inside sales, account-based, all of that kind of stuff. And we have a blog and it's, you know, bridgegroupinc.com. You can email me at sally at bridgegroupinc.com. You can link in with me or I'm on Twitter also, both LinkedIn and Twitter at Sally Doobie, all one word. So feel free to look me up and connect. Would love to hear from you and, you know, everybody out there and hear about your experiences with inside sales, sales development in general. Well, thank you very much for that, Sally. It was great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Ray. It was really great to be on the show. I really appreciate it. Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.